morning. You can follow along on the screen or you can turn in your Bibles if you have them. The first is from Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 43 through 48. And the second will be from Romans chapter 12 again. And I'll say that one again as we prepare to read it. Jesus says during the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And the second is from Romans chapter 12 starting at verse 9. The Apostle Paul says, Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So this is week five of a sermon series I've been working through that we've been going through together, talking about the similarities between the church and really what the church was intended to be and team. We all have this uh, implanted metaphor in our brains, this framework of understanding what goes into team, what's necessary to be a good team and to be a good teammate. And I've been making the argument as we've gone through these texts, mostly in Romans chapter 12, that what God intended the church to be is really more like what we see as a team of each of us bringing our whole selves to that shared experience, working towards a common purpose, uh, both long-term and short-term goals. And that as we commit to God and to one another, we will, we will be changed through the process of working towards our ultimate goals and our short-term goals as well. 
It's more like a team, more like a, a body, like you're the hand and, and I'm the foot kind of a thing. It's more, the church is supposed to be more like that and less like the experience of going to the movies and eating the popcorn. Gina and I laughed out loud last night because that is literally what we were doing as we watched some of our favorite preachers preach on the TV and we are eating our popcorn and paused it and said, I have to laugh because the last time I preached, I talked about that. Here we are. <laughs> I'm human just like all of you, right? Uh, so today I want to talk about and look at a little bit together just to explore, you know, what, what's the culture of the team? What is that supposed to be? We think about that. We can easily understand when we talk about culture of a workplace, a culture of a community, and the culture of a team. I think of the Miami Heat. They talk about, the basketball team talks about having heat culture, which means that they're committed to defense. They don't make any excuses about coming and playing hard. And I, I really liked that as I was watching them in the finals last year. Heat culture. So I wondered, what, what's the culture of the church supposed to be like? What is that supposed to be? And does Scripture help us understand what that is and what makes it difficult to live into that? I want to start by thinking about uh, both of these Scriptures. They both describe this upside-down kind of approach to the kingdom of God that Jesus is bringing in, ushering in God's kingdom into this human world and that as God's people, we're going to live in ways that are really upside down from the values and commitments and the morals of everybody else. And that's really what's represented in the Sermon on the Mount. So we see things like our call as Christians are to love our enemies and to give more than we receive and things like that. And I'm, I just want to stop for a second and say, are these texts for you, any of what we read today, are they hard to understand? Not really, <laughs> They're not that hard to understand when Jesus says, love your enemies, and where Paul says, bless those who persecute you, uh, live in harmony with one another. I, I don't really actually need anybody to explain what that means to me. They're not hard to understand, but yet sometimes impossibly hard to live out. It can possibly hard. I wonder why that is. I don't think it's because of not being told that we should live this way. Like, probably everybody here has been told, has heard these texts or been told that this is the, r the right way to live. You know, to turn the other cheek. Uh, to give someone the shirt off your back if, if asked. You know, you've heard these texts, some of you, I mean, 30, 40, 50 times throughout your lifetime. It's not because they haven't been repeated you. It's not because you're, and it's also not because you're not doing the right things, like going to church and, and that sort of thing, or even being in Bible study. And yet, that's sort of what I've thought as a preacher in this, uh, whatever it is, eighth year maybe, Fred, ninth year of being a preacher. I realize that sometimes I'm trying to man manipulate people's behavior, and that sounds like a strong word, and, and also myself to try and change habits. Like, I want to get you to read your Bible more so that if you're putting yourself in those spaces, you'll know God more and you'll somehow be motivated to change. And that that will make up our culture. Or other things like uh, prayer and journaling, serving, being in groups, that somehow our church culture will form through knowing God in these ways. So when I come to a text, I'm trying to say, okay, i got to get Gina to 
to really be serious about reading her Bible, and that's super important. And Kyle, he's got to get into groups. And Fred, he's got to pray more. And fa- Why don't you fast, Fred? You know, that'll really, you'll really know God if you do those things. But honestly, what I've realized lately is that I do all of those things. I do all those things, and I can't say with an honest face that I know the Lord like I know a friend. I can't say that I know God, that I know Jesus in the same way that I know Gina, or that I know you, Kyle, or that I know Fred or Stacy. I can't say that with a straight face, personally, like, like I know a friend. And I can't say that when I open the Scriptures, I open them to say, uh, saying within my heart, Lord, I just want to know You more as I read this today. As I go into a time of prayer, it's not, Lord, give me the answer to what it is that I'm struggling with, but more of, God, I just want to know You. I would go into prayer or I would pick up the Scriptures and look immediately for the application. In the sermon we watched last night, it talked about reading the Bible like an encyclopedia and how it really just doesn't work that way like most of our resources. You can't just look up a topic and flip to that page and say, what does it say about this? But instead, we come to know the character of God. We come to know who God is and what God says about us and God's love for us. So does that mean that Jesus doesn't mean what He says when we read these texts that He's just saying, you know, don't worry about the application part. Just try to know who I am. (laughs) Is that what He's saying? Like, don't worry about that. Just you're off the hook. I mean, what else are we supposed to think when we read Jesus' words to love your enemies and to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I tend to be a perfectionist, so this is a hard one for me. It's like, okay, well, if I'm not being perfect, if I'm not living exactly how God wants me to be, then does God really love me the same? I don't know about that. But I also don't think that Jesus was pretending. I don't think that He says things that we shouldn't take seriously. Uh, Like, this is really how we are called to love. But maybe the challenge for us, what's not so helpful, is the starting point of where do we start if we're trying to change our behavior and change our, our life and trying to give more of our heart to Jesus because I think we all struggle with that and we all would like to, have, to experience more of the fruit of being with Jesus. Maybe the starting point isn't our habits, which is what I've preached oftentimes to you. Start with the habits and There are books like Atomic Habits that really emphasize the power of habits. And yes, that's all very important. But maybe our starting point is more an an awareness of how God views us. Like just an awareness of how God looks at you and what God says about you and then let your actions flow from there. So I want to share this with you. I went to a resilience seminar. It's just like a, a day and a half and talked about fostering resiliency within ourselves as as all pastors who are there. And he talked about this three kind of layers to change and emphasized that the psychologists who are leading the group emphasized how typically we who want to change our behavior or live in a particular way, we start with self-will. I'm going to just force myself to do more of that. I'm going to force myself to be more loving. I'm going to really push myself to Read my Bible more. It doesn't work very well, does it? It doesn't work for me very well. 
And then we move down towards self-reflectivity of saying, why is it that I want to do that? And then saying, okay, self-awareness. Isn't it interesting that I've been so successful in changing my behavior? But really, the, the game changer for me that they presented in this seminar was saying that all change, all effective, lasting change within a human starts with self-awareness. Isn't it interesting that I struggle to read my Bible? Isn't it interesting that during this season of life, I'm, I'm really having a hard time loving myself or taking care of myself and just accepting where, where you're at? And then you start to ask, why? Why is this my present reality? And now, see, Kyle, you've developed the intrinsic motivation to change your habits. This is more of the challenge for us. is because we start by our own power and say we're going to make this change within us because we think this is how God wants us to live. But what if we started with self-awareness of saying, who does God say that I am? What does God say about the way that I'm living right now? And let our actions flow from that. So I was looking through the Gospels this last week, and it didn't take me long to notice that as Jesus went uh, walking throughout, throughout uh, the region where he was ministering, several of the Gospel texts say things like this. Jesus saw the people he looked at the people and he was moved with or filled with compassion for them. So he's moving through the countryside and he has all these objectives about what he's going to do and, and what he could do. And he sees people. Oftentimes he's interrupted by them. And oftentimes they're the outcasts of society. He sees them. He's filled with compassion for them. Love for them that he can pour out even though he doesn't have to. And then he acts. In, a, in, in some sort of way of self-sacrifice. He loved the outcast. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. He gathered the lost. And so for Jesus, his compassion for the people led to his actions for the people. And he learned that from God the Father. God saw us wandering in darkness. God saw that we were uh, sheep without a shepherd that we just cannot free ourselves from our sinful nature and that uh, humanity is paying the price for that. God saw the world and was filled with compassion, sent Jesus to us. And so Jesus sees that this is how God the Father acts and He imitates God the Father by seeing the people and acting on, uh, in response to His compassion. And so when Jesus says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, I don't think he's talking about being perfect in habits and actions or appearance, which is be very detrimental for people like me who are perfectionists who say, this is how I have to live. Jesus is talking more about having a heart that's like God's heart. He's not saying necessarily be perfect in all of your habits. He's more encouraging us to, to be perfect in our self-awareness to know exactly who we are and whose we are, and to model our behavior according to uh, His behavior, to live from that reality. This is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, have a heart that's like God's heart, a heart that is rich in mercy, a heart that is rich in compassion and forgiveness and unconditional love. And with a filled heart, 
letting actions of generosity and kindness flow from there, that place. So this is why I wrote out uh, this sort of basic cause and effect relationship. Most of our choices in life are some sort of cause and effect. We feel a need, we act upon that need. We feel gratitude, we, we try to share what we feel inside. So the cause in our living for God is God's compassion for us. The effect is our response. Faith, trust, love, service, sacrifice. If you try to reverse those, it's not going to work very well, is it? You're going to be trying to live by your own power. We're not going to be perfect in how it plays out. Does that give you a little bit of relief today? <laughs> that you're not going to be perfect ever. Maybe that's not how Wesley preached it, but that's what I believe, that we're not going to be perfect ever in how our actions play out because we're, we're going to be human. But we can know that our heart is in it. That our heart is in the right place. That we seek to have the heart of God. Do you remember in the Old Testament when uh, God saw David and he was looking to replace King Saul who was, by the way, perfect in appearance and he was mighty in stature. And then he saw, and, and said, this guy is not really going to cut it. And he said, I need to replace him. And he saw David and said, David, though he's small and you know, he's, he's young, he is a man after my own heart. That's what God says about David. That was the qualifier to lead God's people, was to want to have a heart like God's, to be perfect in this way. To me, if we bring it back to the coaching metaphor, it's like co what coaches ask of their players. If you had a coach that expected you to be perfect in your, how you played, it's not going to be a very fun experience, is it? I don't think good coaches come with that attitude. Instead, coaches expect what? Think about it for a second. What do they expect? That you give your best, right? That you really care. That you take care of yourself so that you can show up with your best effort. Lately, I've heard that the Timberwolves, as much as I love the Timberwolves, there's some of them are staying up all night playing video games. <laughs> They're not going to the club like what used to be an issue. They're staying up all night playing Fortnite. Come on, guys. You can't, you can't stay up till 5 and then turn around and play a game the next day. <laughs> you know, that's all a coach really asks. And if the team can buy into that, then you'll just have a great experience knowing that, hey, our talent level is only going to bring us so far. Uh, maybe some of the other teams are better than us. Uh, maybe some things happen that are outside of our control, but we will be changed. We will have a transformative experience if we bring our best. We bring our best for one another. And if you can bring your best for the coach because you know the coach wants what's best for you. We will be changed. This is Super Bowl Sunday. I didn't actually plan this at all, which is kind of neat uh, how God works sometimes. A friend of mine yesterday, I was talking to him and telling him we were talking about this sort of thing. And he reminded me of the Vince Lombardi quote. Some of you have probably heard this. Vince Lombardi told his team, the Packers, set that aside for a minute. <laughs> he, said, we will, he said, gentlemen, we will chase perfection. We will chase it relentlessly, knowing all the while that we can never attain it. But along the way, we shall catch excellence. We'll chase perfection, but we'll never get there 
And along the way, we shall catch excellence. In other words, we will be changed through that pursuit. Our, our culture as a church becomes people who are committed to the relentless pursuit of Jesus, becoming like Jesus. And we will fail. We will fail. But we will grow. We'll grow closer to God. We'll have a greater self-awareness of who God says we are and we can let go of some of the self-hatred or self-doubt or fears or anxieties. We can let go of those things and we can grow closer to one another, which is, by the way, what we need most in life. Meaningful relationships. When our shared intention is to have the heart of Christ, to be as Christ is, then the more natural outcome is a culture, a community of people who live in the way that Jesus describes and in a way that the Apostle Paul describes. You remember at the beginning of this series, if you go back to the beginning of uh, Romans chapter 12, Paul talks about giving ourselves. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, or your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And so there, Paul's talking about a cause. Do these things. Give your life to Jesus. Surrender to Him. Just seek after Him with all your heart. And the effect, the culture that's created, are these things that we read today. And they come more naturally. They're more attainable if we're doing the first part uh, first. <laughs> Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I can't do any of those things, just those two verses. I can't do any of those by my own strength. Can you? Can you really love someone who doesn't love you or doesn't like you in return? Can you do that by your own strength? I'm guessing not. That's hard, but if we place our intention into understanding how God views us and letting our actions flow from that and saying, God, I'm going to give you more of myself because I trust that you see me and are filled with compassion for me. Now we're letting God's grace flow through our lives. So I think for us, this whole process begins with receiving awareness of how God sees us. We can receive compassion from God when we believe that God looks at you sees you today just as you are and is filled with compassion for you. God sees you despite how you view yourself. Despite what you think is wrong in your life. Despite your sin. Despite what you're afraid of. Despite what you're regretting from your past. Despite what you're angry over whatever. God sees you and says, this is my daughter with whom I am well pleased. This is my son, and I see him, and I have compassion for him. Friends, we love because Christ first loved us. And so my prayer for us is, and for all of us here today is that we could accept this truth, that God looks at you in every moment and is filled with compassion and is eager to act on your behalf. And as we're filled with God's love, as we sense God's compassion for us, we can become a community of people who are capable of offering it back to others in unexpected 
maybe even supernatural ways. And through this process, we become like Christ. Amen. So let's take about 30 seconds or so. Let's just sit with this truth. Let's just try to accept this and allow God to shape our awareness. Let's try and accept the fact that God looks at you and is filled with compassion. And maybe this is a time of saying, thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Maybe it's a time of saying, God, I'm sorry for for the way that I've been trying to do it on my own or, or asking God for what you need. But let's just sit with God together with this in mind. Jesus, you lived as a human, and so you know, you observed how difficult it is for us to change our behaviors and to make good on our desire to become like you and to be a people, a, a church, a congregation, a culture of people who would share that desire. Lord, you know that uh, we're overwhelmed that we're stressed, we're anxious, we're afraid, we're busy. You know that it's hard for us to be internally motivated to do the things that would actually shape us to be more like you. So Jesus, we're asking today that you would help us to flip the script. And instead of saying we need to do this by our own power and strength, just try to accept a new awareness to accept this truth that you look upon us and are filled with compassion for us. That our desire to know you and to love you and to live our lives for you is uh, something that makes you smile. And God, would you let our actions of faithfulness and devotion and duty and service, all of those things that are so important for this Christian life and for the community of our church, would you let them flow out of what we receive from you, God? We trust, Lord, that you will answer this prayer. And we pray it and that you'll lead us on a journey.